0: back to another episode of caught looking a baseball podcast hosted by myself max greenfield and my co-host ryan garcia ryan how are you
1: doing today i'm doing good uh you know obviously get to watch um you know an excellent excellent uh game between the cowboys and the packers just a real hard fought battle just want to remind you guys that Dak prescott struggling against the defense that tommy devito beat literally had christopher maltasanti from the soprano show up from our team and beat the Packers defense, and Dak Prescott can't. So you know, annual January Cowboys get knocked out of playoffs. You know, uh cold weather not fun. It's super windy in Long Island, and you know, if there's anyone who is in just any windy like that. This is not obviously not just a Long Island specific thing, but anybody who's in a a windy city or windy town during the cold months knows those days where the wind's howling at your window. It's cold. It's freezing. You don't want to get out the house. It's one of those days, but. I, I, as somebody who works from home, like it's not like it's a detriment. Like I just sat here and I've been editing and recording and writing all day, so um, not a bad way to spend my Sunday. I can't lie; I've been relatively productive.
0: Nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is off topic, but you brought up the Sopranos. But did you see the tweet about the Yankees' recent signing, and it was George Steinbrenner. When he sees when that guy come
1: out, <laughs> oh my god!
0: That's so funny, dude. It made me laugh so hard that the the clips of uh, Tony Soprano fainting and then all the stuff about we'll we'll get into that that deal later. But God, dude, that made me that had me giggling a little bit. Um, I was I was laughing. There are the, the tweets today about the Dallas game have also made me laugh. Uh, Rappaport saying, uh, what did he? What is the exact tweet? That he said, um, unfathomable situation developing in Dallas, and there's just so many people bringing up November 1963,
1: and dude, it's just, kind of mind blowing how bad they've played, though. You know, like it really it, it blows your mind. It does, <laughs> you <know>? Um, <laughs> I had to I never tell you. Okay, wait, this is also off top. Never tell you the time that so I went to a high school named after John F. Kennedy, um, and for my senior year and. In my first face to face conversation with the principal, I mentioned like, yeah, this this school, this this atmosphere really blows my mind. How and like I I didn't realize the wording. Oh, that's it. tough. Thankfully, he that's didn't tough. catch it, but like I kind of like froze after saying it too. So like if, if he did catch it and was You're like, you like
0: Chris it, Rose on air the other night?
1: Yeah, you know. Except well, I mean, <laughs> you know,
0: he didn't say what he said, but
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean. that look i i don't like chris is a good guy but like that is a fucking funny clip that is so funny like that's 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 that you that that's you you're he's infamous now that's it like that clip you live on social media forever congratulations
0: before we get into baseball i uh i took my fiance to her first nba game this week we went and saw the kings play the hornets here in charlotte uh charlotte's arena is very nice uh it's nothing crazy it's pretty tame but it's nice um and by all happenstance, truly random. But I sat in the same row for the entire game as Kings GM, Monty McNair. Met him, shook his hand. told I thanked him. I was like, dude, thank you for bringing playoff basketball back to Sacramento. I was like, I've been a Kings fan my whole life. And he's like, dude, that's awesome. Thanks. That's insane. Me- yeah. I was, uh, People were like, you should have asked him if they're making any moves. Never do that. Like, don't don't do that. Like, if you have the opportunity to meet, like, an executive or a player or anything like that just like tell them thank you or like be nice and stuff because they remember that stuff way more than you know the guy was like right,
1: you should go get this guy like oh. Yeah, like if you're telling Brian Cashman, yeah, Yo, you should go get Corbin Burns, he's probably oh, you think he's thinking something? Oh shit. Oh my oh, god. Oh my god, you're so oh, nice. No I never like, thought of that. Like, yeah, like no. Go get one Soto. oh shit, you mean to tell me I should try to get a generational Yeah. I, I didn't think about that beforehand. My bad. My fault, big dog.
0: But, but <laughs> or just
1: walk up to Cashman and do the big dogs. Like, big, big, big dog. dog.
0: Uh, <laughs> but but even stranger, sitting courtside, not even a couple rows in front of me, J. Cole. Yeah, in Charlotte, watching the Kings play. And you know, not many players came up to him. But the first guy who did, Harrison Barnes. Everything about that was wild. It made I was just sat there in the back and I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why are you here? And why is Harrison Barnes dapping you up? Now, don't get me wrong. Harrison Barnes is a really cool dude. He's like super awesome. Maybe not the best at basketball anymore, but like super cool dude. But yeah, that was a, that's how I spent my week, uh, was, was sitting next, not next to, but close to Monty McNair and my fiance got to watch the Kings light the beam in Charlotte. But anyway, on to baseball, uh, right after we finished recording last week, uh, Teoscar Hernandez signed with the Dodgers and we had hinted that that was going to happen. Um, you know, we were there were reports that he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a right-handed hitting outfielder that can hit lefties really well and be able to handle himself against righties. And I was like, all right, they have an interest in Tascar Hernandez. Like, this got to happen. He signs a very strange contract, a one-year 23.5 million dollar deal. Now, that's pretty, you know, you know, surprising in the one-year factor, but the AAV is probably a little bit more than people expected. But Ryan. That deferred money is coming back again, and this time it's kind of ridiculous because, I mean, it's a
1: one-year deal. Are we serious here? Yeah, and for everybody saying, well, they paid $23 million for, like, an ex-war player this past year, like, I I just want you guys to see what they did to, like, 35-year-old J.D. Martinez. Jason Hayward yeah like this isn't fair (laughs) well thankfully the Dodgers are a National League team it's like Teoscar Hernandez is like physically incapable he has 82nd percentile sprint speeds I'm not fully of the opinion that he's that he's in like his fielding run value of plus two last year I'm not saying that's what you should expect to project from him but what I am saying is I'm not entirely sure that's a fluke he's always been a really good athlete he's just kind of he just makes boneheaded decisions. Like he's Also, just...
0: like, if you look at his numbers away from Seattle last year, he had a weird year. He couldn't hit in Seattle. But away from yeah. Seattle, he was actually, like, his prototypical self.
1: And if, in also, Los Angeles, he would have had 31 runs instead of 26, according to Savant. So It's also, like, he's so
0: different from the rest of that lineup. Yeah. right. Like, he provides this guy, a uh, friend of the podcast, Rob Orr, basically said, like, here's this guy who's going to swing at one of the first two pitches to try and do damage while the rest of the lineup is like make the pitcher work, see what pitches we can find, you know, capitalize on mistakes. Don't chase. He's just like, nah, screw it. I'm gonna go hit. Like, I think that's good. Like a, 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 a lineup that has different styles of production is good, but the, the deferred money here, I mean, ah, come on, it's just ridiculous.
1: Also, I mean, like, okay, I, I get, like, okay, so from the Angels' perspective, they probably just can't get anybody to sign there. Like, I, I am imagining that you're not going to be able to get Teosco Hernandez to to take, like, similar money from you guys over playing literally anywhere else, right? There's just, that's what it is. I would not want to play there. Like, I would say that's, like, A's territory of, like, I'm just good. I don't give a fuck if Mike Trout's there. Like, I'm I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, go play somewhere else. But Boston. Teoscar Hernandez follows Boston Strong on on, 30, on on Twitter, which, by the way, dude, stop shooting shots in your account, man. Like, dude, you are missing. You're bricking. I always believe shooting shots. God, you're looking shoot.
0: like me out there, man. Like,
1: nah, dude, it's bad. But, like, dude, it's like he's – I mean, like, good Lord. You know, like, there's a, look, Julius Randle stopped shooting from three. Just take that as an example. Take that as a hint. All right, that's all I'm saying. Julius Randle learned how to stop shooting from three this year. Buddy.
0: You got to do the same.
1: Yeah, stop shooting. But, anyways. Y-
0: yeah, I agree with you, though. Like, Boston – why I get the sense of like, well, he maybe he just wanted to go to the Dodgers. That's valid. But like
1: if you're Boston, why don't you just give him two years, 36, 40 million dollars? Like if him if he's asking for years, just give him four years. Like I am I'm, I'm not like I look, I understand, like if their evaluation of Teoscar Hernandez was that he is not a good enough player for a four-year contract. I understand, but it doesn't seem like they're entering negotiations with the evaluation that no free agent is worth more than two years. It feels like they're going into it with that evaluation because of financial purposes. I know that we're, you know, this isn't a Red Sox signing. This is a Dodger signing, but these are two big time franchises, big market franchises who have taken incredibly different directions since winning their titles. The Dodgers won their title. And since then they've acquired Max Scherzer, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Shohei Otani, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, right? Like they've just continued to throw everything they can. Screw compensation picks, screw the luxury tax, screw whatever prospects they end up trading. Well, I, you know, that's a little bit harsh, but you get my point, right? Where it's like they, they want can to replenish that, right? Like they know they can replenish that because they trust their player development. And for the record, they can. They're not just saying it to say it. They actually can do it. They can replenish all the talent they're trading away. And they're continuing to go for it. Every single guy in that front office basically has a secure job now that Shohei Otani signed, and, and Andrew Friedman has his I mean, he job. put
0: that as part of his contract it's, of, like, yeah. you, the owner can't sell or step down as CEO, and Friedman can't be fired. Right. Or else he can opt out of his – that's some cojones.
1: And as a GM, like, low-key, if you had that, if I know that the best player on my team specifically will leave my team if I get fired, like –
0: that's where's crazy. the
1: incentive? Right, but where's the incentive to take risks? Well, guess what? The Dodgers keep doing it, right? Like I know that I wanted to give you a model three hundred plus million dollars, and like I'm not saying that it's you know not the decision I would make, but it is inherently a risk. Like you are yeah. giving a guy who I mean, not let's let's take away the yes, a bitch major league baseball, all that stuff. He's he still is a pitcher. A, yeah, he he's is just a pitcher. Like we're getting reality. a player every three hundred million dollar contract is a risk. Like every single one, every every con every dollar you spend is a risk. Um, and when it's ten years, it like, gets a risk that can hamper you long term. Um, but they've continued to go after it. Since 2018, once the Red Sox won the World Series, I mean, I'm not saying that 2021 team, I don't know how good they would have been had they added more. But what I will say is that was actually like a pretty good team. Like all things considered, the offense was good. The Red Sox have kind of ran out better bullpens, I feel like as well. Like their bullpen has become really well built. That is a, like, I'm looking at that bullpen. I, I'm I, I, There's going to be a hot take, but like, I think they're probably like the sixth fifth that's like i think they're really good that bullpen it depends have on what they do with
0: kenley jansen right but
1: right now like currently with what they have in yeah, place yeah yeah have no, an excellent I, I agree bullpen. they're um, very good and that's something that they like even when they won in 2018 they never that, that was their big weakness like you wanted to get to their bullpen they have an excellent farm system Bloom left i mean a lot of really good prospects down there sure, yeah this what is like this is the the like you should have been spending now, and I don't know if you saw the report that came out that had Bloom not been fired, they might have had a little more pressure to go out and spend this year, or they would have been a little more aggressive. Whatever it was, something along those lines. What yeah, is crazy. the point of punting it another year? I get that this isn't the free agent class to go out for it uh, and, and try to like rebuild your roster, but this certainly was the free agent class pitching wise to try to get better. I'm not saying they should have signed Marcus Stroman, which we'll get to in a bit. I'm not saying that they, you know, could have gotten Yamamoto. They, they could not. If the Mets and the Yankees couldn't, they weren't going to get him. That's, you know, right. that's fine. Um, I have no problem with them not getting Imanaga, um, even though I would have taken it on that deal that he ended up getting with the Cubs.
0: Yeah, it was a very – we'll get to that in a second. Right, but, but yeah. it was
1: reported that he took less guaranteed money with the Cubs. And and again, like, the it's Fenway, like, fly balls. I'm going to be – you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I understand. Also, that get... report
0: came from Heyman, and so, like – we never—they've never confirmed otherwise. We that also don't know if it was true. the
1: Red Sox or like the Angels. Right, the it Giants. could have been. Could have
0: the Giants apparently pulled themselves out of. We gotcha. might as well just discuss I- Imanaga, but like the Giants pulled themselves out of the Imanaga uh, deal after acquiring Ray, probably because they wanted Jordan Hicks, so, you know, who, who they signed, and we'll discuss later. But so Shota Imanaga, his deal is quite interesting. It's technically speaking. Four years 53 million and can work up to six years 80 million um but he has some clauses in there with some opt-outs and everything wrigley might not be like the most amazing fit for him um but i like him in the nl central in general like there's some parks in there that he can take advantage of just don't ever let him pitch in cincinnati don't don't let it happen you can't can't do it it's um, also
1: cheap. If he's a league average starter and he gives you like yeah, 30 like, starts, like that's a win. It, you you won the contract. I
0: thought for sure there were so many people like, yeah, he's gonna get a hundred plus million dollars. And I think that's what was scaring people away. Like a hundred plus million, I don't want to do that. Um, but he ends up not he ends up not even, you know, technically coming close to it either. I like Imanaga's stuff is so good. The fastball will play in major league baseball. He led the MPB in strikeout percentage. And this is a league that does not strike out a lot. Like they are very good at putting the ball in play. Yes. He gives up home runs in a league that doesn't hit a ton of them. That's a concern. But I think that the, because of the strikeouts going up and the Cubs being really good at getting pitchers to be good at what they're good at and not making them fit a mold. Um, I think the home run thing might not be as big of a concern as people think. Like, I think he will adjust the command. They'll have him probably throw the fastball exclusively up in the zone and just say, hey, fastball up, slider, you know, away or into righties, away from lefties, and throw that split down.
1: Also, like... like I mean, a big thing here is the, the, the structure of the deal, which is kind of ins- – I thought it would be a player option. The team can use the club option to knock out those final two years, if I'm not mistaken. So correct. this could just end up being a two-year, $26, $27 million, roughly. It's, I think, it's $26.6 million expense for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. It, That's it – you it's take a- that fly every time. Now, again – now – it's funny because like I, I want him on the Yankees. I will say this, like if that deal was available for the Yankees, even in the AL East, I kind of would've liked to see it. I, I did really like Omanaga. Um and I, I I like I'm kind of like, dang, like I really think the Cubs did really well here. I yeah. once he was talk once I heard $100 million dollar talks, I was like, Yeah, no, no shot. Um, but they got him at like a they got him honestly at less than what I thought he was gonna sign. I thought he was gonna sign for four seventy-five million guarantee. What's
0: the total value of his contract is exactly what I thought he'd get if you know that's the way it works out. But it's just, it's not structured the way I
1: thought it would be. It's not guaranteed money. Like, that's Correct. the kind of thing. Um, and, and like, end of the day, I think Imanaga just, I think he probably, like, I, I imagine at the meetings, the teams that met with him, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure the Yankees or Mets even like sat down and had like a serious meeting with him. Maybe the Mets did. But like, it, I imagine if you're meeting with all these teams, the it's not hard to imagine the Cubs standing out as a team that you'd want to go play for. Like, it's it's not hard to imagine that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, It's not as if, you're you know they he picked like he picked like the pirates and you're like why would you take less money he was
0: there? clearly pretty enthused about going to the cubs too right like, like i know that conference.
1: yeah like i know that again like money talks but like when you take less money to go somewhere there was something that was said in that presentation that clicked and that resonated and i imagine yeah. as you mentioned with the pitching development that was probably it that was like hey we are a very we think we can make yourself better we think we can make you better um, and we want to get the most value, you, whatever it may be, except they probably said it in a much better way because they had their professionals and I'm a kid behind a computer screen. But yeah. Yeah.
0: I thought the Cubs did really well here. This is a good signing for them. And they um, finally
1: spent more money than they have on their managers. So right. Like congratulations. Uh, congratulations. They also made another move. Right. Uh,
0: they, they make this signing. And then the very next day, they traded for uh, Michael Bush of the Dodgers, uh, a prospect who is, he can hit, but he just, I mean the Dodgers are so, so loaded they just didn't really have a spot for him. And then um Yancy Almonte, a reliever with wicked stuff. Um, and the Dodgers and uh not sorry, not Yancy Almonte. That's they no, yeah, Yancy Almonte. Yancy That's Yancy Almonte. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting here is immediately like, oh man, like Cubs, like this is awesome. Like, you know, Dodgers. Wanted to get prospects in return? I mean, are we sure? Like Michael Bush can really hit. Almonte's got dirty stuff. And so here's the thing about the Dodgers. Every time they make a move, even if it seems strange, you have to understand that they're doing it from a place where most people don't know what kind of data they're looking at. And The return was Jackson Ferris and Zier Hope. To give you a quick rundown on both of them, Ferris is a dude. He is probably going to be a top 100 prospect at some point this year or next year. The stuff is legit. He just needs to stay healthy and play an affiliated ball, which it sounds like he will this year. But he's got plus pitches. I think three of them when I you know, read the report again, but he's good. That in the return alone makes it worth it because the Dodgers can turn him into somebody who could be an ace. Also, now they have Ferris Bueller on their roster. <laughs> I heard that joke a thousand times this week. Um, but to me, it's hope where they really like, oh man, we're going to look back in like two, three years and we're going to be like, ooh, the Cubs, Cubs might have gotten hustled a little bit. Cause hope is exactly the type of guy that they turn into somebody who's really good. He's basically a more toolsy version of James Altman. He may not stick in center field. Cause he's probably going to be a corner guy, but he's, his tools are a lot louder than James Altman's are like, that's how good this guy can be. He's, lot of pop and apparently he was a really good pitcher and there's some rumors that the dodgers may try to get him back on the mound because he could you know he could pump 96 97 in there and i always think it's funny when guys can throw like 98 and they're like yeah i'm a hit though like dude you throw 98 like do you understand how few people do that (laughs) like you want to go hit like
1: all right you better be a really damn good hitter like yeah no like i'm not i'm not excited for when they you know when they have shohei otani the two-way player and then uh zero hope the other two-way player. Uh, it's right. not going to be fun. Uh, but like, like, as you mentioned, it's like the Dodgers just find value in ways that, you know, we can't always understand because they have access to information that goes beyond what we have. Like, and it's not a matter of like, they have an access to this unbelievably like complex offensive stat. It's as simple as like, they have minor league stat cast data. And we don't, they have biomechanical data and we don't like it's right. They're looking at, are,
0: you know what I mean? It's not even that they're looking at like stat cast data. Cause they, I mean, they do, but they're looking at things in, as you said, in the biomechanics, they're looking projections. at their projections. They're looking at the way Hope's swing moves and operates and the way Ferris moves down a mound and the way the ball comes out of his hand exactly. And how it compares to guys that they've done well with in the past. And we're like, all right, we've identified the traits in the way they move in the, their pitches in their results, whether it be, you know, the swift rates, zone rates, you know, the shape pitch shapes or you know exit velocity hard hit rates and stuff like that they're looking at that and going all right this is a guy who we like let's see if we can get make it happen and for ferris and hope i mean those are guys they do extremely well with extremely well i mean i saw the trade and i didn't know really anything about hope until i was like reading about him texas some friends about him and they're like that's a great get for the dodgers like one of my friends texted me and said, in two years, people are going to be like, this is a terrible trade for the Cubs.
1: Again, I will say this. That's hoping
0: that those prospects work out and their prospects for a reason. Bush will play right away. Almonte will play right away. That's what you need, right? The Cubs are better from this trade for 2024 than they were before it. You just take the chance that in, that the Dodgers don't do what they do and you know, make guys better by 2026 or
1: 2025. Yeah, no, at end of the day, like I I think that Michael Bush will hit for the Cubs and he's going to play first base apparently. Now he will move around the infield if necessary. Um, But if he's able to, um, if he needs, if he's able to be like a 115 WRC plus hitter at first base, they literally have nobody there. Yeah, right? like, I mean, they, it's
0: a huge improvement.
1: Like, they just they, – they don't have anybody there. Like, they – like I know Matt Mervis is technically there, um. but, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, he – he I know that Matt Mur- but, like, he just hasn't – like, they don't seem to really trust him, you know? Like, I
0: – Yeah, they're weird. They've been weird with Mervis. We talked about it before. The way they've handled him is very strange. They it Clearly, they don't like him.
1: Yeah. And, look, is it fair? I don't know. Like, we'll find out over the next – I mean, I think it's fair. I don't think they have, like – it's not like a – injustice i think people have this uh misunderstanding that young equals good just because you're young means you're going to be good like people over yeah people overvalue youth so much like not saying that youth doesn't matter for like long-term projectability like how good will you be over x amount of time right if you're Um,
0: young and you play well you can reasonably assume that you'll get better if you play well at the major league level like when juan soto comes up and dominates yeah you can assume that as he ages and gets smarter he'll continue to get better yeah because he's Juan Soto, but if you know a kid comes up at 22 is kind of struggling, you can't just assume like, oh yeah, he's young, he'll figure it out. Like that's not always the case.
1: Right, he's more likely to figure it out than let's say somebody who's 33, right? But but that's not it doesn't guarantee the outcome, right? Like your outcome begins at like you haven't done anything at the major league level. You are you haven't proved anything. Now it's different now, and that's why I think there's a difference between prospects, and I know that when we um, when we had Jared Seiler on here and he talked, when he answered my Yamamoto question, that's why he differentiated between prospect and Yamamoto because there's the fundamental difference there, right? Yamamoto has, like, it's, yeah, he hasn't played at the Major League level yet, but we, like, you you got you kind of get what I'm saying? Like, he's played at arguably, like, it, it, I don't know if you saw that, like, thread about how foreign players have played, like, Major League players have played in the MPB. Dude, they suck now. Like, did you see how bad Sheldon Noose was? Yeah. He's, like, the worst player in MPB history. That's what was crazy. Dude,
0: the MPB is not like people think of it as like, well, isn't it like a like a between double A AA and a, Like,
1: no, it's like
0: between like it's it's good. It's not major league baseball, but it's good. Like there's right. they did win the world baseball classic for a right reason.
1: Like and, they're like filled people... with dudes. I see these like these tweets, and like I used to think they were funny, but then I started following more like Japanese baseball accounts, and they started like exposing these tweets as like these make no sense. Like, oh, Franco Cordero, he signed in Japan, he's gonna dominate. Nah, those those guys get carved up over there. Like, right, you know, quadruple A players now go to Japan and get cooked. You know what I mean? Um, like I it like that's just how this works, right? Like I I it's that's that's the gap that we have now and you know but when it comes to prospects it's you have to prove yourself right like just because you're twenty just because you're 23 doesn't mean you can strike out 50 of the time over 20 games or 30 40 50 games and that's eh, fine you'll, you'll just learn how to not strike right, out right? like that's like, not, that's not you know? how it works yeah striking out a lot as like a 23 or 24 year old and striking out a lot at like a 33 to 34 year old there are like small nuances but it's two cheeks of the same ass like it's i'm sorry like you're just it is you can't hit like it, it. That's it is what it is, right? But yeah. I do think Michael Bush is a better fly than Matt Murvis, even though they are a similar age. Yency Almonte, dude, I wanted the Yankees to acquire him before he went to the Dodgers, and so him being so good at the Dodgers is painful, but also like a win. Um, I think he's going to pitch better than he did last year. The stuff is really good. I know the effectiveness of sweepers have gone down from 2022 to 2023. So there is a little bit of concern, right? But he still has a pretty good fastball. It's like his fastballs are terrible. He has two of them as well. So having a sinker, four-seamer, um, that helps a lot. I, I-, I saw that Lance Borkowski video uh, about sinkers and good video, right? Like a good video about how help, having a sinker can help play up your four-seam fastball. I think he's Brandon Fott as an example. Um, and he's Bryce Miller as well. But Almonte, nasty, twenty-nine years old, multiple years of control. I do think the Dodgers will end up putting this deal, but I'm not going to kill the Cubs on it. I get what they're doing, and if Michael Bush is a one, if if Michael Bush is a one fifteen, one twenty WRC plus hitter, do they give a shit? Not really. It's 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 a win for them. It's a win for them. I think Bush
0: Bush can hit. I don't think there's a question about if he if he can or can't hit. I know it was a little bit of a small struggle and a small sample size at the big league level, but I fully believe that Michael Bush can hit.
1: and also I think there's outcome. just a bit of,
0: yeah, a bit of prospect fatigue involved in Bush, right? Like just, he'd been waiting for so long because the Dodgers are so stacked, right? They just they didn't have anywhere to put him, right? And they didn't, you know, with Freddie Freeman over at first base, it's like, all right, <laughs> where am I supposed to play? Like,
1: <laughs> And also, like, let's be real here. And as much as I like the prospects the Dodgers got back, their median outcome isn't being above average major league players. Like that's... Um, right. that's how baseball works like all it takes is oh he had shoulder problems oh yeah the out like out like for example like the whiff
0: issues never corrected yeah right
1: like brendan beck there's that world and he's a yankees prospect there's the world where he stayed healthy and he's like factoring he's like on the yankees 40-man roster but he's dealt with injuries throughout the entire tenure at the yankees or other example like esteban floreal in 2018 was one of the best prospects in baseball it was like a top 50 top 100 type of guy Kept getting hurt, and when you keep getting hurt, you don't play, and then there's that pandemic year, right? Like that, you can't develop certain skills. Yeah, sets. and then you he get just passed up over by other guys. You and know, then
0: he never got better at the things that he exactly. needed to get better at.
1: So, not saying a pandemic's gonna happen that stops Jackson Ferris from, you know, fixing his command issues, but that's like that's baseball it's barrier. a possibility it's a it's possibility literally like that's just that's why they're prospects and we'll see how this trade ages but this will be like a we'll talk we'll be able to better evaluate this in like 2028 it's not going to be a 2025 valuation
0: still can't believe they got a real human being for estevan Florial. that was crazy guy. Um, oh moving on jordan hicks a well sought after reliever who had rumors of the astros and the yankees being interested in him signed a very surprising four-year, $44 million deal with the San Francisco Giants uh, this week on the caveat that the Giants intend to work Hicks as a starter. Now, starter here should be used in heavy quotes because according to, I can't remember who it was, but I believe it was either John Heyman or Ken Rosenthal. Who Ken Rosenthal, what a week, yeesh um that was bad remember kids if you ever have the option of saying nothing or saying that every young big contract is risky because the players could end up being a pedophile probably just say nothing um that hicks will probably be back to the original point uh hicks will probably work as more of like a two to four inning guy as like instead of just a traditional starter Here's why that's weird. The Cardinals try to start Jordan Hicks and it really didn't work. And now you could be going, well, the Cardinals don't know what they're doing with pitchers and you wouldn't be wrong. They don't really know what they're doing with pitchers, but Hicks doesn't throw strikes. Like it just doesn't throw enough of them. It's a problem as a reliever and that's a reliever. And he gets a lot of ground balls. So like his, Inability to throw strikes because of his ground ball rate already makes you kind of go, yeah, well, but it's fine. Like, but it it's a problem. He can't go more than an inning or two because of his inability to throw strikes. And so the Giants are saying, Well, we can basically get him to throw enough. Uh, the Giants are good with pitchers. Are they that good? But like, I mean, he wasn't really much better at throwing strikes in Toronto. And dude, Pete Walker's a pretty damn good pitching coach. <laughs> like they had one of the best staffs in baseball last year. So it's a weird deal. Like it's not hard for him to be worth it because if he throws 60 innings a year at the rate that he was as a reliever, he's worth it because he could be their closer or he could be their you know, you know, high leverage setup guy and he'd be worth it. Cause again, 60% ground ball rate, throws 102 miles an hour. He's good. I'm not debating that. But the plan to start him is a strange one.
1: It's a, they are an interesting, they've, they've had interesting starting pitching strategies. Um, You know, I, I'm a little more optimistic in the sense of like, you know, I, I think that the Giants are taking a bet here on a pitcher who has excellent stuff. And if they have the, um, buy-in to give him that, that, um, to, to try something like that out. Sure. Go ahead and and try to be innovative. I have nothing against that. Um, but as you mentioned, the injury history, the command, like we were talking about this earlier before we started recording, like, does he have great command of a single pitch in his arsenal? And other people are going to say, well, Blake Snell just won the Cy Young. I would argue Blake Snell knows what he's doing on the mound with his command. It, It seems to be intentional and his walk rates, we're like around where Jordan Hicks is as a reliever, right? You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the difference. We're talking about going from an 11% walk rate guy to them becoming a starter. You know, is it going to look like Edward Cabrera's outcome where, you know, he's able to prevent runs despite the fact that he walks like an ungodly amount of batters because he can just keep the ball on the ground. Who knows? Maybe teams are a little less scared of walking hitters in an era where guys hit the ball harder than they've ever hit before. And there's more, you know, there's more to lose by giving up contact. Who knows? Um, but it's not like Jordan Hicks is also like an overwhelming strikeout guy. Like he does get strikeouts, but he is like he he throws a sinker 60% of the time. It's not like he's going up there trying to, you know, strike out three guys and, and end the inning like that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's an interesting decision. I wouldn't say he's the first reliever I'd go to for like a it, turn this guy into a starter. Um, but I, I'm interested to see how it works. Like I'm I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see Jordan Hicks and how he how he plays this year how the Giants utilize him, whether he'll ever get that fifth or sixth inning. And, you know, end of the day, if it works out for them, and he, let's say it works out in the sense that he is a three-inning guy for them. If you get, you know, what, like 80, 90 innings of him at like a 3-5 ERA, even, that's worth $11 million, right? Like it's worth it, but they just, I think they need more like not regular, that sounds so mean. They need more like normal starting pitching. They need a guy who can give them five or six innings.
0: Right, what's like, so weird like about their off season is, In theory, a Webb, Cobb, Ray, you know, Hicks bullpen thing and like Harrison and a a rookie, right? That could actually be like a really good rotation. And in the postseason, like if they made it there, assuming Robbie Ray is healthy enough, right? Like Webb, Ray, Cobb, again, rookie Hicks combination Pretty good, like that's pretty good in a short series. But it's just, can you rely on anybody outside of web to even give you a hundred innings? No. So, like, also listen, not not a giant fan of Blake Snell as as a, as a pitcher and the way he pitches. We've discussed it many times in this podcast. But Blake Snell owns the Dodgers, owns them. He's so good against them, and. The way he pitches would be great in that park. I'm kind of surprised that they're just like, ne. But every team is with Blake Snell right now. And so that's very strange. But man, I agree with you. I think they should have just gone for a guy with more guaranteed innings.
1: Now, if they're willing to still sign Blake Snell after this, huge win. Like, I actually you, yeah, I agree. Like, there's if nothing that says that they can't. Like, if they're willing to sign Blake Snell after this, they've got, you know, Web, I mean, Web Snell is a combination. Polar opposites of pitchers, like complete Hilarious. opposites. So but funny. Good Lord, I mean, but that might, actually might work in their favor. And, and honestly, like those are two completely different looks, two completely unique looks. You can't get those looks somewhere else. Um, And then you can throw in a guy like hair like again, Cal Harrison. Maybe he's one of the one of your guys next year. If he's like your fifth starter, you get Ray back in the mix, and you go with like Jordan Hicks as your fifth starter bullpen game situation. Robbie Ray is built for a ballpark like Oracle Park. Like, he, yep. he is perfect for that ballpark. I actually really liked that trade for them, and I still kind of do. Like, the more time such has passed, a weird, dumb trade, it but was yeah, a, I agree with you. The Mariners were bored as fuck that day, but, like, I see the vision with both sides. I think sometimes with a trade, you just need some time for it to simmer, and you'd be like, okay, this makes sense. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think that that's kind of always how trades are. Like, the Alex Verdugo trade, for me, was like, why are we doing this? And it's like... Okay, I see it. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where you, you, every signing, every trade, there's always going to be a very strong reaction of, the want to steal this, that. It's like, ah, you know what? makes Even the Dodgers-Cubs thing, it's like, wow, the Cubs just gave the Dodgers two future Hall of Famers. Cool. Uh, but it's like, all right, but it makes sense. Like, I get what they're doing and their prospects, like the median outcome, all that stuff, you know?
0: It's good that you brought up Verdugo because the next thing that we're going to talk about real quick is the fact that the Yankees have gotten Juan Soto, Alex Verdugo, and now Marcus Stroman in the same offseason. And it's literally the definition of that Larry David gif where he's like,
1: eh, eh, eh.
0: Like on the one hand, you got Juan Soto. Perfect fit. Dream ball player, A Dominican hero for the kids hero, of the Bronx.
1: My hero. My hero.
0: Um... But then you also got Alex Verdugo, who you hated, and Marcus Stroman, who you hated, and had beefed with Yankee fans. So Marcus Stroman signed with the Yankees this week for a two-year, $37 million contract with an option for a third-year vesting option if he throws 140 innings pitched in his second year. They also signed Luke Weaver back for $2 million. I actually really like that move. Uh, Weaver actually showed some promising stuff with the Yankees in his stretch down there. Uh, down at the end of the year. So I, I, I'm happy they brought him back. But here's the thing. <laughs> at first, I was like, there's no way. Like, there's no way this happens when the rumor first started. But I talked to some people and were like, no, like the interest is pretty serious. Like, also, like, in theory, he'd be a pretty good fit. And so I think here's what Yankee fans have to do. Remove the name Verdugo, remove the name Stroman, and just look at it from a baseball lens. The Yankees are getting a guy, who, yes, the past two years had not thrown a ton of innings, but never had a FIP above four. Doesn't really give up home runs, has a ground ball rate above fifty percent every single year, doesn't walk guys, and has above average stuff. That sounds like a perfect fit. Like, and they're getting him for below market value. Stroman at two thirty seven. I mean, that's a bargain, like a serious bargain.
1: Yeah, for me, it's look, if the Yankees, like the Yankees goal, if they couldn't get Yamamoto was to find a guy who could improve their rotation and didn't have to make a long term commitment to. And I imagine that the entire winter they were like, so who fits that box? Marcus Stroman. They're like, we're not signing Marcus Stroman. And then after time, they're like, huh. So, is that option, like, you know, Seth Lugo's off the market, Michael Walker's off the market, you know, they'll report that Monago's going to ask for $100 million, you weren't going to pay Snow what he was asking for, Monty's probably going back to Texas, you go, alright, I'll just trade for somebody then, why, why spend money, I have so many pro. and then you look at Dylan they're so like, oh, okay, you want,
0: Hampton. you know, Spencer
1: Jones, Chase Hampton, alright, No. Corbin Burns, it's like, alright, they're not trading him. Shane Bieber, I mean, I, I, the Yankees and the Guardians just don't really match up as well as I thought they would because, like, everyone's like, all right, you just give them Everson Pereira. Well, what if they don't like Everson Pereira? Then Historically,
0: what? they do not like guys like Everson Pereira. Right, like, and it's like... Milwaukee with Everson Pereira makes sense because Milwaukee likes guys like Everson Pereira, but Cleveland doesn't. They, yeah. They don't like guys who swing and miss a lot and then hit for power. They don't have
1: It's, those it's legit just like... Where do you like, like, I, I was, I remember I was like writing an article and then and, I, and I, this article never came out. And I was like, why the Yankees and Gar, I was like, it was like title, because I just, in the, in my head, I'm like, yeah, they match up really well. The Yankees really need a guy like Shane Bieber. You know, he makes a lot of sense. He's a good fighter taking them. Kind of like, well, why does this make sense for Cleveland? Like, they're going to ask like, they should ask like Will Warren, but the Yankees aren't giving them Will Warren. They should ask like Ben Rice. Maybe the Yankees give them Ben Rice, but they should ask for more than that because Ben Rice is the first baseman, right? Like he, the value he can present for you is not great unless he's a great hitter right what like they don't match up as well as you think okay so they don't like Pereira you move on and you're like all right what about Mitch Keller well the Pirates are kind of like entertaining offers not like shopping him there's a difference when you're in entertaining mode and people don't understand this it's not that they're waiting to hear your baseball trade value offer it's they're waiting to get blown away by a team and hope they find a team that really likes this player because if they're blown away then they'll they'll discuss a deal the Pirates are not taking a deal from Mitch Keller unless they're getting, like, a, a Chase Hampton in that deal because yeah. they don't have – they're not shopping him. They're, they're fine rolling into the season with him. They have zero reason to trade him outside of if an opportunity presents itself. It, it's kind of like if Glaber Torres, his situation. The Yankees aren't going to say no to Glaber Torres for, like, you know, Brian Wu, but if the Mariners aren't offering Brian Wu, the Yankees aren't trading Glaber Torres. You know what I mean? like somebody has to bite somebody has to be desperate to bite and make that deal so the Yankees are just kind of like they were Stroman was the only guy who checked off all the boxes they were looking for outside Yamamoto and they they had a meeting apparently in Tampa where he and Cashman talked face to face and they were willing to go forward signing him this has worse than Josh Donaldson potential if he doesn't work out his Josh Donaldson yeah he called out Cole but I feel like his off-field track record wasn't as bad until he came to the Yankees when the Tim Anderson stuff happened. That's when it became like a, like unavoidably bad. Strowman doesn't work out with the Yankees; it'll be a problem. But I will say yeah. this: a lot of the emotions that Yankee fans harbored against Strowman were unfair prior to like 2022. Once 2022 happened, there were things he did online where like yeah, okay, I get hating him. But before that, there were a lot of people who hated him for the wrong reasons. I do acknowledge that. Like, I don't want to be oblivious here and pretend like people have been hating Marcus Strowman for righteous reasons for their entire lives. Um but at the same time, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to dislike. He makes a lot of sense. It's just, it's weird. And it's going to be weird. It's going to be, this is going to be a weird team. Alex Rodrigo, and they, they might sign Hector, Hector Neris. Can this be a, might be the most different personality we've seen the Yankees can have. Can be
0: one of the most entertaining teams I've ever seen in my life?
1: Whether for all the good or wrong, for all the right or all the wrong reasons, honestly. Because if yeah. they're bad, it's going to get ugly. Like if they're Correct. bad, it gets ugly. Like people, Cashman gets fired, I think, if they're bad this year. I I think his contract's up, right? Isn't it, or something no, like that? Yeah, he's
0: got another two years. Oh, up.
1: okay. He, I think he might get fired if they're bad, and I don't know uh, if he should get fired if they're bad, but
0: who knows? But I, I, I thought, uh, with your point about Strowman and people disliking him, uh, our friend of the podcast, uh, Bradford William Davis, uh, at, BWD, at BWD, at BWD, at BWD. Sorry, I love his ad so much; it's so funny. Um, he had a really good thread about Marcus Strowman, and like, yeah, he's done a lot of things that I certainly really don't like but also like he's always had this weird attention around him because he's a very boisterous black athlete and in a very non black sport, you know, like, so there's always been this weird attitude around him because of the way he acts and everything. And again, I'm not saying that justifies the things that he has said or done that are bad because those are bad, but you'd understand why he gets kind of defensive about certain things when you remember kind of like the way people have talked about him his whole career you would you would get kind of defensive too
1: yeah i mean i understand like i get and i know that people like chalk it up to like oh well like he's just an angry short man like that is a stereotype i understand that um but like it's not like this is also like a sport where like he act like most people, like I joke about my height being like people make fun of me for, but it's Twitter, right? Like who gives a shit? He's probably been told at various times in his playing career. You're not going to make it. So, yeah. Cause of it.
0: Cause of his height.
1: Right. So I do actually understand the frustration. That's one point. And then obviously the overlooming here thing here is, you know, the racial undertones of the criticism he's received. Like I, I do believe that's, of course, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder. You're going to be resentful and you're going to have a lot of spite and anger towards people. It doesn't justify his actions. I think there's an between justification and explanation, but I think that if this is a deeper, this is a this is going to be again, it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow throughout the entire season because we're talking about a, a a person who there are reasons to understand his 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 vitriol towards people. There are reasons to dislike his vitriol towards people, and he's playing with an organization that kind of I, I'm not saying jump started the hate for Marcus Stroman. But if Mar- if Brian Cashman doesn't say that thing about Stroman, is he as notorious for his off-field issues or quote-unquote issues or comments or social media stuff? Like, I don't, not that he wouldn't have been active on social media, but I feel like the Cashman thing is the most notable thing. You know, it's like, I know he had a little bit of a thing with the Mets. Like, I think he like came, went after New York fans. But again, I think those comments stem from what originally happened with the Yankees in 2019. Was Cashman out of the line for saying what he said? I understand Stroman being upset about what Cashman said. I also understand why Cashman said what he said, because he's a brutally honest guy. And to an extent, like, was he going to start over Paxton, Tanaka, Severino? Probably not. Like, the Yankees liked Paxton. Tanaka has always been good in the postseason, and Severino was a considered a better pitcher at the time. And for people saying what makes, you know, for people now who, who have the, the comments that Brian Cashman never admits mistakes, you officially cannot say that anymore. He just brought in the one guy that everybody knows him for playing down, and that's Marcus Stroman. So, that it's a win. If you are a if you are a Brian Cashman hater, unfortunately, it's a bad day for you because when you're misinformed, and untrue narratives die, and that's the positive from this. Brian Cashman wins. We never lose. Um, and I'm go- still going bald by the age of 45.
0: Moving on, we're gonna have a quick discussion about arbitration. Uh, came and went. The arbitration deadline happened, and so to kind of walk our listeners through arbitration, it's basically before after you pass through three years or so uh, of team control, you're allowed to go through what's called the arbitration process, which is basically you and the team, you know, there's a set value that you can kind of negotiate around to try and get to. um, And you submit a number and the team submits a number. And, you know, ultimately, you know, you kind of come to an agreement on what your salary will be for that year. You know, when you're in year one of arbitration, you obviously make less than year three. Um, every year, for the most part, arbitration's pretty not, you know, it's not newsworthy and everything, and it's not really too different this year. Uh, the biggest news was that Juan Soto set the record for large deal in arbitration, $31 million, broke Shohei Otani's record by $1 million. Um, came actually $2 million under slot, um, but there were 23 players that did not Uh, reach terms on a contract and will be headed towards what's called arbitration. And so what it is, is, as I said, the player will come in with their value and the team will come in with their value and an independent arbitrator will decide whether or not this person's worth number one or number two. Um, And they're only allowed to use public data. So, teams cannot use internal metrics to argue against the player because the player does not have access to those metrics was the argument essentially for why that rule exists. So, you know, there are legendary examples of arbitration going extremely poorly. It's a really bad and dumb system. Um, Most recently, Corbin Burns basically went through arbitration with the Brewers, I believe lost too, right? He didn't win his case. Um, and basically after that was like, I'm not going to be here once I become a free agent. Not good. Yeah, R- Really not good. This is not a good system. And what's crazy is everyone agrees it's a bad system, but they don't really have an alternative to fix it because, you know, owners don't like to lose money. Um, but of the twenty-three players, a couple a couple stick out. Um, first, Luis Arise. he wants twelve million, and the Marlins counter with ten point six, so he will be going to arbitration. Um, another Jazz Chisholm, another Marlin, $2.625 That listen, the differences can be this small. They are, they don't have to be a ton for it to be an art. You know, to get an arbitration hearing, Adolis Garcia six point nine million. 5 million is what the team countered with. Um, probably the biggest name on this list uh, would be Adolis, but if you don't think so, then this would be the biggest name. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. asked for $19.9 The team countered at $18.05 I believe that was the largest gap uh, on here it was $1.8 million. Um which is pretty hefty. The smallest gap on here actually blind, uh, belonged to Casey Mize, who wanted 840000 and the team countered with 815000 That's right. They're going to arbitration over $35,000. Jacob Webb wanted $1 million, and the team countered with 925000 That's right. They're going to arbitration over $75,000. It's a stupid system, Ryan. We really got to find a way to change it. But ultimately, I would probably say like. I, I would probably say that Vlad here is very surprising, given how people have talked about the relationship between him and the Blue Jays in recent years.
1: The thing for me is just like from the Blue Jays perspective, you have to understand the frustration. The guy goes from MVP caliber player supposed to anchor your franchise to he hasn't been that guy. I'm not saying the Blue Jays are a perfectly ran organization, but look he at he hasn't the even they made been close, years. right? But like they've, they've made good enough moves where if Vlad Guerrero jr. Had his meeting outcomes, not saying his MVP caliber outcome, like is a 140 WRC plus hitter and a four and a half four player, like a good, like the, if he's Pete Alonzo, right? If he's Pete Alonzo and not, you know. One of the greatest right-handed hitters of the gener- of this generation. If he's Pete Alonso, there's no this is no disrespect to Pete Alonso. I'm just saying, if he is a really good player instead of a generational player, are the Blue Jays maybe not like are they like closer? Do they have a playoff win? Do they have a playoff series win? The pickoff at second base in the wildcard game series against the Twins is embarrassing. Like that can't happen. You are the first team to lose a playoff series to the Minnesota Twins. The first time was a playoff game to the Minnesota Twins and a playoff series to them in my lifetime, Max, I am in college. I am a sophomore in college. I had not lived to see a play, And I understand, like, you know, franchise, like, just because the 2004 Twins lost playoff series doesn't mean the 2023 Twins are going to lose a playoff series. But you kind of get my point, right? Like, the Blue Jays have kind of been front and center for some really hilarious playoff disasters. Seattle, you think of the second game of that series where you're supposed to win that game. You have got in the bag, you blow it, right? I know that we're going to sit here and talk about, okay, what about the decision to pull Burrios, the decision to put in Mazum, pull Gosman, all that stuff. How about the, deci- how about the play from the players? How about the players actually execute, right? Like we can talk about game plan and strategy. How about these guys to show up and execute? Like Vladimir is Guerrero is.
0: not get put, picked off.
1: Right. Like I, I don't, and I, I don't mean this to say that we should, we should be like, Oh, the poor front offices and the poor owners. Like I, I hate that thought process. Like I, I think that's stupid. Like they, they, they play this. They play this game. They have the risk, right? Like they, they, they run behind the scenes. Like they, they know the risk they take when they, when they take their jobs and when they become owner, whatever it, it, it may be. But at what point do your players need to execute, right? Like you just have to show up and, and do your job. Like you have to actually play. Out. And Vlad just hasn't. He hasn't done the job.
0: He was and- a one win player by Fangraphs last year.
1: Yeah, he was like – he he's he arguably bad. not the best first baseman. In the, the Red Sox arguably have a better first baseman than the Blue Jays do. You make a really good argument for it, a yeah. really damn good argument for it. That's you, not the outcome you need. You
0: could argue that they actually have, you know, the worst first baseman division.
1: You could. Like, there is a – I think – I'm pretty sure in war in 2022 – He didn't lead either because I'm pretty sure Rizzo had more. Maybe it was close. It was close. But,
0: like, in 2023, you could argue that, and moving beyond, like, you could argue that the Blue Jays have the worst first baseman in the division, depending on how you feel about Anthony Rizzo. Like, I wouldn't disagree with you. And so, yeah, that as you said, coming from the Blue Jays' perspective, I wouldn't want to give Vlad that money either. Like.
1: Yeah. And on top of that, like, look, let's, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Right. Like, um, Bichette's probably the better player to keep long-term. Um, you know, if you wanted to, if you're willing to make the expert, the expenses they were willing to make for Shohei Otani. And look, I, I will say this about the Blue Jays. The fact that they were that in on Shohei Otani to the point where they were the runner up tells me that if there's a big free agent, they want him. They can they can try to get that guy. They can they can get somebody. You know what I mean? Um, Would that money not just be better spent on a different player? Like Juan Soto becomes a free agent, you should just throw every dollar you can to try to get him to go to Canada. Who cares what happens with Vlad? Like you don't care. He's not because he's not. You can't view him the way you view like the way the Yankees view Aaron Judge or the way the Mets value like Francisco Lindor. Or the way, um, you know, the Yankees are now going to value Juan Soto. Or the Dodgers value a Betts or a Freeman or or an Otani. Like, he's not that caliber of player anymore. Now, is it impossible for him to become that caliber of player again? Obviously, that would be an insane take to say it's impossible. That he, that you know, he can't figure it out and he's cooked and it's over. But it's, imp- it's also equally insane to say there's no chance. Like, he can't get worse from here or he can't not get better. I, I alluded to this in the beginning just because vladimir grow jr is young does not mean he's going to figure it out and that's kind of the tough thing here this is the biggest year but this is a pivoting pivotal point of his career i know he has another year of arbitration left and the blue jays have another year to look and evaluate but if he's and it's not he can't be a three war player and this is good enough he has to be like he has to get like down ballot mvp votes at the very least like he has to be a legitimate like five war player for the blue jays say all right willing to give you the money you're looking for and even then he has one five more year you're probably thinking to yourself well what if he just reverts again like is this the type of guy you give a 10-year 300 million dollar contract to in 2021 it seemed like a foregone conclusion now i'm not even sure i'd give him a nine-figure deal right like he's he's in a tough spot this is a tough situation to be in i don't even know like i will say this though the there are definitely a there are definitely franchises that could probably turn him around but i don't I'm not necessarily sure this is the Blue Jays' fault either. Like, I I know that conditioning, there's a few guys in that clubhouse who have had conditioning issues become public, and that's not a great reflection on their organization. But again, like, you can't make guys work hard. You can't. Like, you can't make them work hard. You can't make Alec Manoa, you know, not pitch through, like, some shoulder fatigue, apparently, that he had, according to Kevin Gosman, and condition himself right. You can't make Alejandro Kirk condition himself better. You can give them the avenues to do so, but it's their off season. It's not like you can legally force them to either, right? You can you can't even. I mean, I don't even know if you can adjust their contracts to have like you know anything for like stipulations on what you have to show up on, on at camp looking like. Like I, I don't know how that works, but they're in a tough spot. Like they need they need a lot of things to go right for them next year. They're they're relying a lot on their ability to, for guys who have consistently not shown the wherewithal to get better, make the improvements that they actually turn wake up, snap out of him and say, All right, we have to fucking get better. We can't Vlad can't show up to the next year and have a one like what what was it? A 117 WRC plus? What was it? Yeah.
0: It was like a 115. Yeah.
1: Can't do that again. Just can't cannot happen ever again in his career. Has to be better. Um and yeah, like I'm not rooting against him. I know I'm a Yankee fan and I'm I'm not like rooting for the Blue Jays to in the World Series or anything like that. But um you know I, I it's not like I like seeing a fellow countryman like sock, you know, or not be good enough or or not live up to his potential he's an exciting player but he's got a up he's got it. he's got to show up it's got to show up next year uh i know it's a long way of putting it but it's got to show up
0: yeah i mean i completely agree i mean he if if blue jays want to do anything he's got to be at the focus like if they they can't get another year like they got out of him last year um so We want to end the episode with another episode, uh, sorry, another segment of Coach's Corner. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about pitch design, and I want to talk about it because two reasons. One, I saw a tweet from Pitching Coach University, who actually uh, uh, is run by uh, Jared Gaynor, was a former pitching coach with the twins. Um, And he, uh, first of all, I actually really like this account. I think it's really, really informative and everything. really recommend that you follow. It's at pitching coach you. Um, and let's see the question was, um, gosh, why am I also, but basically the question was like, you know, what did you think you used to know that you now realize is wrong? And I thought, for me, it was and a former, you know, former podcast guest um, and friend, uh, Spencer Davis said like that pitches had to have absolutes that they had to be in certain margins and everything like that, or else they couldn't be effective. Um, and I thought about that when I was listening to a couple of presentations and everything and some the podcasts recently about pitch design in the sense of. Well, how do you make stuff better? We've talked about pitch design and how to make and how to make pitchers better and before, but we've never really talked about how to make pitcher pitches better. Um, and I think there's a, there's a misconception about wh- which pitch types are easy to improve or difficult to improve. And so I asked on Twitter today, which you know which pitch type do you think is easiest to improve? Fastballs like four seams, two seams, sinkers, breaking balls, you know, curveballs, sliders, sweepers. Or off-speed stuff, change up splitters, you know, fork balls, that kind of stuff. You know, cutters kind of a weird thing. They're like a fastball, but not really, but also can be, depends on the guy, right? Like you could have class A, who's like his cutter is like a fastball, but then you have Scherzer whose cutter is more of like a breaking ball type. Um, so it just it's just dependent on the guy. Um, and to my surprise, actually, uh, Breaking Ball ended up winning the poll with hundred uh, with 51% of the vote. Fastballs finish second and off-speed finish third. Um, I didn't think there was a right answer here, but I did think there was a wrong answer. I think if you chose fastballs, you're wrong. Um, Fastballs are extremely difficult to improve. And I think it's because most people don't realize that fastball shape is just tough to change. Like Ryan, when you throw like when you're taught to throw a baseball, the first thing you're taught to throw is a fastball. Like everybody learns to just pick up the seams and then just throw it. And so if you're throwing a fastball, that's just the way you naturally throw it. That's the way it comes out of your hand. And to change that is extremely difficult.
1: Yeah. You don't just go from, oh yeah, I'm a natural pronator to, yeah, I'm a supernator. That's just what I do well. Like I actually just supernate. That doesn't
0: happen. Yeah,
1: no, that's- you know, for the major, at the major league level, and you're talking professionally, you don't have like two years to just throw shit at a wall and hope it sticks. You're fighting for your job. Like you affect team performance, your individual performance. These are things that matter. So you don't get that runtime to say, all right, I'm going to have a bad fastball all year, and, and the team's just going to understand, and they're going to, like, that's not how this works, right? You're on borrowed time. Like you, you have X amount of time to prove yourself at, at whatever level you're at um And then on top of that, you know how and not not to say that the time investment is worth it, but considering the way that most fastballs play, is anybody's fastball good enough to you know take a basically tank a year of value? Not really. Like unless you're going from like you know a uh, dead zone fastball, like Albert Abreu's four seam fastball, to like Spencer Striders, yeah, you might you're you're willing to wait a year for that, but that doesn't happen if it could happen so many teams would be doing it so many teams would just have guys come in and just be like all right um we're just we're taking your fast we're just gonna make it so much better it's easier to prove your secondary as you mentioned even sweepers like teams have realized oh yeah we can just teach you how to orient um how to how to orient your your the seams of the ball so that you can get crazy horizontal break and and because for most right-handed pitchers, you're you're going to be facing righties. You have a pitch that can get righties out. For lefties, a little bit tougher, but you just that's why most lefties throw a curveball, right? Because curveballs gets get opposite-handed hitters out. Sweepers get um, same-handed hitters out. You can just say, all right, here's a curveball. Here's just something that moves vertically. Um, now, changeups are tough. Changeups are just like, man, you either like, and I think you can attest to this too. You either have one or you don't. It's it's weird, like some guys like I like I, even on a day-to-day basis like I'll throw one day and I'll be like yep I have my change up the next day to be like nope don't have it right and I think that's like a shared experience there are very few change up first guys anyways because it's a weird pitch also like you wouldn't define it as like a heavy width pitch but you wouldn't define it as like a contact it's weird it's not like a ground ball pitch specifically or a fly ball pitch specifically it is just a pitch and it kind of relies on your fastball too like how good your changeup is, is strictly reliant on how good your fat or what your fastball does. So that's also a question. Like your changeup is just like, I don't know. I've never really considered a changeable pitch where it's like, there's a definitive thing that makes a good changeup. It's kind of like, all right, what does it do compared to your fastball? Like is Drew Thorpe's changeup bad because it doesn't get vertical separation on his fastball? No, it's actually a dominant pitch, but does it mean that like, you know, a pitcher who has a bunch of vertical separations that make them bad? No, like, now, this is a bad example because he hasn't pitched, didn't pitch well this past year. But, like, when Ron Marnaccio is right, is this change up bad because there's a lot of vertical separation? And that's opposite of what Drew Thorpe does? No. Um, and I understand that's, that's kind of the same way for every pitch. Like, it depends on how it plays with your arsenal. But for the most part, you can say, yeah, getting more sweep on a slider is good. Having more ride on your fastball is good. Having more run on your sinker is good. Having more drop in your curveball is good. Et cetera, et cetera. So changeup kind of a weird pitch. I don't know if you can even definitively call anything better or worse.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, changeups ups are, are fun because there's so many different avenues for them to succeed. And I thought one of uh, the comments I got on the, on the tweet, uh, it came from uh, at Spin BB. Fastballs are hard to improve just generally because it's largely tied to velo. Breaking balls are weird, and oftentimes it has to do with motor preferences. That's true. If you're not a good supernator, it's tough to throw sliders. I'm a terrible supernator. Couldn't throw a slider to save my life. Had a decent curveball, though. Um, I think off speed in terms of improvement are underrated because it's based on grip and there's so many grips, right? He's right. Off speed is, is tough, but fun. And also interesting to improve because change the grip ever so slightly. And that can completely change the shape of the pitch. You don't even have to adjust the way you hold it in your hand or the finger pressure or anything like that. Things that have very big effects on a breaking ball or a fastball, but on a changeup have minimal because of the way you're trying to kill spin and everything like that. Um, and like the intended, you know, what the pitch is supposed to do, but a small grip kit change can do a ton on a changeup. Whereas it might not do a ton on a fastball or a slider. Um, I think the answer to my question is sliders or breaking balls in general, I should say, because, uh, and a friend of pod, uh, at MJD ana- uh, analysis, uh, Mikey Donadeo said, "If you have the understanding of seam shifted wake, as you mentioned, it just makes it a lot easier. Like you understand what guys can be able to do and what type of breaking balls they can throw and throw well. Um, and you know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and they kind of say like two breaking balls is, is the way to go. You need you need a curveball and you need a, and like some sort of sweeper or slider." Um, it's interesting to me I think you know you talked about sweepers were generally not performing as well in 2023 as they did in 2022. I think that's because of an overusage. I think people tried to throw sweepers that shouldn't throw sweepers. We talked a little bit about how pitch design is a lot of like making sure what fits into your arsenal. If you're a guy who relies on vertical break on your fastball, you should not throw a sweeper. Like you have to do things to make that pitch sweep that inherently change the tunnel of the way you throw so like if i'm you know a high you know three-fourth arm slot fastball and i get a ton of vertical break from there and i want to throw a sweeper i'm unless i'm clay holmes who's just a natural supinator and kind of just weird in general but a big seam shifted weight guy which i'm not because i'm high vertical break guy i'm not gonna be able to throw a good sweeper I need that hard gyro slider. Like if I'm 94 to 96 tons of vertical break, I should be throwing a gyro slider at 88 to 90. Like, and just that plays against lefties. It's a better uh, uh, splits pitch as well. Um, and again, like the way I can manipulate it out of the hand with pressure on my fingers, I believe, you know, index finger can create a little bit more drop and a little bit more downward action. in uh Middle finger creates a little bit more sweep um, and horizontal break. If I understand that and I know how to manipulate the grip, I can make my slider do different things and make it move differently on each time I throw it depending on what I need it to do. And so, again, if I'm a sinker guy and I get a lot of seam shifted wake, I'm a throw sweepers because that's what I should do. But I need to make sure that my breaking ball fits into the rest of my arsenal. When I coach guys and I work with guys, I try to identify their best pitch. That doesn't have to be their fastball. Ideally, it is. Like, if you if your best pitch is your fastball, that just makes everything else play better. Garrett Cole's really good, and Spencer Strider's really good because their best pitches are their fastballs. Now Garakul slider is also really good. His knuckle curve is also really good. His cutter is really good. And his changeup is really good. He throws five really good pitches. I know he's not the best example here, but those four other pitches are really good and play better because his fastball is so damn good. It just makes it better. You know, you talked about how having a two seam can make your one seam, you know, can take, make your four seam play better. Like we have a kid, we taught him a one seam sinker. The one seam sinker is really good his four-seam has all of a sudden started getting a lot better results. Why? Because it's the four-seam that is a dead zone pitch from a high three-quarter slot now looks completely different than the one-seam, and his, he's now throwing the one-seam you know, double the percentage of the four-seam. Pitch design is not this sense of we're trying to, as Spencer said when he came on here, it's not trying to hit metrics. You're trying to find a way to improve the arsenal as a whole. And how do you do that? Well, you have to know what can be improved and what can't. If you're like, hey, I want to improve my fastball shape, let you know now. I've tried it. It usually doesn't go very well. It's just hard to do. You're trying to change the way somebody naturally throws the ball out of their hand. That's hard. That's so difficult.
1: And you open yourself up to a lot. Of really bad outcomes like you're like chasing like a vertical ride fast a vast a lot of vertical rides you could get hurt yeah not even just that like who's to say the pitch plays well like right because you could make everything else right? worse yeah like what if you're like all right I've got you know I released him like a three quarter slot I have a great sweeper um you know good feel for my changeup out of that slot but my fastball isn't great. Maybe the solution is either a find a fourth pitch or just use your fastball less or make find a second fastball or throw a cut whatever it may be. But if you ruin your, if you're, let's say throwing from a more, um, from a higher slide, I wanted to use your example of like, you know, if you're throwing from, if you're releasing, if you're going from down here to up here, that ability to get around the ball and throw a sweeper, cause you're, you are you got your mental cue too is go here. Like at least mine is you usually get around the ball. Like it, there's yeah. some fixation of just get around this baseball kind of hard to do it from up here can't really get like it's it's it's
0: just natural as you change your arm slot your ability to do certain things is going to change if you were a guy who throws from a lower arm slot it's just a lot easier to kind of get you know on the side of the seam a little bit more on the sweeper or maybe you know spin it you know spin the side of a changeup. it's a little bit easier whatever it may be right but as you adjust the things that you can do change and it's interesting to me that I see so many different coaches from all backgrounds of baseball not really understand that it's not about hitting benchmarks. As I said, it's about what improves the arsenal. Don't chase, like this is weird for a data person to say and everything like that, but you're not chasing data. You're chasing overall improvement and through pitch design. That's not just like, Oh, Cool. This pitch now gets 20 inches of horizontal break. Okay. Yeah. But I got to drop my arm to do it. Like that doesn't play. Like now I'm throwing one pitch from here and another pitch from, sorry, one pitch from a three quarters arm slot and another pitch from a side arm slot. Guess what? The hitter's going to see that. Like, like they're going to know that those are two different pitches. You can't get away with that. Tunneling was weird because it became like over and undervalued at the same time. Like, it's important. You need to throw stuff out of the same slot because if you don't, hitters will tell. It's it it's gonna come up. However, if you're overvaluing tunneling and making sure that everything comes out of the same slot to make your stuff worse, that's also not good. A little bit of separation is fine if it makes the stuff better and it plays in your overall repertoire. However, don't sacrifice you know, certain things to improve one of the, other. don't sacrifice the repertoire to improve the tunneling. Don't sacrifice tunneling to improve the repertoire. It's basically what I'm saying, but yeah, pitch. I, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, I've listened to some stuff about pitch design and I think there's a, a big misconception out there overall, when it comes down to it, the point I want to take away was improving fastballs is extremely difficult. Like, yes, you can add velocity. Always improves fastball. But if you're in the dead zone from a high slot, there's no real fix in that. Like you got to find a two seamer or a one seam sinker or something or a cutter. Like you got to find something that makes your dead zone fastball play up because if you don't, the pitch is going to get destroyed. Even look at Hunter green. Yeah. Hunter Green Needs like a sinker or, or a cutter or something because his fastball, even though it's thrown 101, 102 gets pummeled.
1: It's kind of interesting to think though, like what you do in your early stages of throwing as like a kid, just kind of dicking around, stick with you the rest of your life. It affects like that's that's kind of horrifying. Like it's horrifying. Like you 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 do you're right. Like and you have to kind of get a player to also be able to like visualize that. Like I don't know if this makes any sense, but I physically kind of cringe at the idea of trying to pronate, uh, supinate up here, like it like get around the ball up here like that that's that hurts to think about you know what i mean if i can't like if i'm thinking yeah this is gonna hurt to do i'm not gonna do it like i it's you're also not like if you don't have that confidence your mechanic and look some people like again like nick pavetta is another example of this like he can throw a really good sweeper from his high slot and it works but like there's a reason why nick pavetta is an anomaly and why that pitch so good or like clay holmes there's a reason why we're talking about yeah one or two guys in the league can do it Right, like one or two. It also in, takes
0: probably some serious finger pressure manipulation stuff that we yeah we and, know exists, but don't have access to the data to just you know fully understand it.
1: And oh yeah, like as as you mentioned, like we're, we're talking about like pitchers the major league level. Good luck trying to fix your fastball, trying to change your slots, and you're in college or high school. You probably don't have a great grasp of the data, the the pitch metrics behind your pitches. And you likely never will until you get to higher levels. It's weird. It's like, all right, to get to higher levels, you have to have better pitch shapes. But to access what that data looks like, you have to get to higher levels or be loaded. Um, so, you know, it's a tough, it's tough. Like if you're, if you're in high school, and you're like, man, I never got to, I, I don't know why my fastball isn't as good as it should be. I throw hard. You're not gonna get the answer to that question until you go to college. And you have to hope you go to the right college. Like it's not just, right. you know, just walk to your random college and you've got you know, um, track man are set up and, and doesn't track man, not even track certain things. Like
0: Rep Soto has problems with seems shifted right. weight. Track so, man does track seems shifted weight. Yeah, right. so you Matt could Soto. go to, a, you could go to a school and you could have no idea, but like you get there and you're like, Hey man, like I throw 92 to 94, but my fastball, when it gets hit, it gets
1: hammered. And I no, don't so know the, why. Hope you And they, my coaching staff.
0: right. You have to hope that they know
1: the answer. Or they're willing to know the answer. Like what if you go up to your pitching coach? You're like, Hey man, so like I just want to understand how to like figure out some stuff with my fastball. Like I've never really gotten a good look at like the pitch metrics, and like don't worry about that BS. Just look. We want you to throw strikes. We want you to be in the zone. Like
0: dominate the inside. Yeah,
1: you just kind of like throw the inside fastball. Get, get hey, hitters off the plate. Keep, like it's like you're like ah shit. Like ah, right. Fuck. You know what I mean? Like. like- it is what it is. Like it's unfortunate and it's kind of an unfortunate reality of youth baseball and like baseball under the professional level, but they're also trying to win games. They're not going to tell you, Hey, so we don't care if you're missing out of the zone. We just want you to throw as hard as possible. They're going to be like, yeah, so I'm going to get fired. If we don't win X amount of games this year, just figure it out. Like, Hey, like just please like our defense is good. You can get outs here. Like just throw strikes. You know what I'm saying? Like It's there's not, and I don't even particularly blame coaches because, at one hand, you're like, "Well, they're ruining the future of that kid." On the other hand, if that guy gets fired, where's he going to go to the dinner table and say, "Well, guys, we did the right thing"? You know what I mean? Twitter's going to be happy with me. They're going to be like, "Right, yeah." Like, it's like, by the way, we don't know when our next paycheck's coming in, but hey, I made somebody imaginary happy on Twitter today. Like it's, right, like
0: I, I, tr- in theory, like if you're good at what you do when identifying trades and player development and everything like that, you won't have to worry about your job because you'll develop the player and they'll play well. But you have to get buy-in. Right. There are so coach.
1: you you have so
0: many factors outside of your control. Also, I think the reality is like some some guys you mesh with and some guys you don't. like yeah. there there are players that I've worked with, and I've tried really hard to like get through them. and it just hasn't worked. Somebody
1: else has. Does that make me a bad coach? Not necessarily. I'm sure the best coaches in baseball could say the same thing, too like right. the Dodgers just couldn't get it to click with Bellinger the way the Cubs did for some reason now or whether he worked with in the offseason now part of it too was he mentioned and he talked about like I'm playing for the Dodgers I don't really have like m- time to just, like mess with shit we're a co- perennial contender I can't really say all right trying something new um spend the whole year trying it. you can't do that like you have to you, you don't, don't want to run the risk of being even well, yeah, you have to perform you have to be you know, you're, you're, th- this is their window. This is not experiment and figure it out. If they want to experiment and figure it out, they, like they did what, you know what? And I was going to say, they'll cut him and find somebody cheaper. That's literally what they did. They cut him and just brought up James Altman and it worked, right? Like it. that's how baseball is, right? It, it's it's weird. It's like, you got to, it, it's tough because it, this, I don't want to sound like I'm being like, this kind of like sounds almost morbid the way I'm talking about youth baseball, But it's just the reality of it, right? Like, it's just, hey, sometimes you're in good circumstances. Sometimes you're not. Some coach you'll click with. Even if they're a great coach, you might not click with all of them. Maybe it's an initial interaction where you just never really fully trust them or whatever it may be. Or maybe you're just not getting results and you don't find those results until you go with another coach, right? Like, are we going to argue that Mike Maddox is a better uh, pitching coach than Matt Blake? No, but Mike Maddox got more to Jordan Montgomery. Why was that? Maybe because he just was finally getting the results he was supposed to get. Maybe he was finally getting the batted ball luck. Maybe he was finally, you know, whatever it may be. It is what it is. Maybe he's just like, hey, Montgomery is just a couple of years older now, and he has the experience of pitching deeper into games or whatever it may be. It's, it's tough. Like I, and as to kind of circle it back to everything that goes with pitch shapes and everything from that uh, standpoint, if you don't have a great fastball already, there's not a lot you can do to fix that. Even if you go from like a dead zone fastball to a great sinker, it's a great sinker is still not much like a. Not that a, great not a great sinker pitch. is not
0: gonna not gonna outdo a good fastball in terms of like
1: right like the 99th percentile of a sinker and the 99th percentile of a foreseen fastball is completely different like it just is. yeah
0: a 99th percentile sinker is clay holmes sinker versus garrett cole's fastball
1: or even you just like spencer striders fastball. i mean what like garrett cole's fastball like 2019 is like 99th percentile outcome we're talking the best of the best outcome those type of guys win Cy Youngs right like how many pitchers like Sandy Alcantara no one of Cy Young, but how many pitchers have won Cy Young's in recent memory without, and he has overwhelming stuff. Like Andy, Sandy Alcantara isn't a sinker baller. He throws his changeup more than a sinker. Like you have, and he has like his fastball is four seamer isn't great, but it just, it's hard. So like at some point you just throw hard enough where if you use a pitch, if you don't use a pitch too much, it's just hard to hit. And he also kind of plays into the idea of he has a sinker and a four seamer. Um, so like, there just aren't, I don't know, like you just can't really do much about it. Um, and you have to look at, all right, how do we improve our secondaries? And there are so many pitchers in the league now that don't have elite fastballs, right? Like there, are, you don't have to have elite fastball to be a great pitcher. It helps, but I mean, I'm trying to think of some guys off the top of my head. I, I, I'm going to miss immediately so bad. And, and, and I know that I'm missing on some guys like who don't have dominant fastballs and are elite pitchers or are really good pitchers. Um, Kevin Gosman doesn't have a dominant fastball, great pitcher, Sonny Gray, doesn't have like a great fastball. He has like a couple, he has a lot of the, uh, fastballs, but not a great one. Um Steele has a unique one, not a great one, but a unique one. Eflin, does he have a great fastball? No, Lopez, Lopez, Pablo Lopez,
0: does that- he does so not, not Not that good.
1: Yeah. So yeah,
0: it's it's hard to be good without a great fastball, but like there are routes to do it. You just gotta know how to form your arsenal, right? And that those guys do. Cosman's got a great slider and a great uh splitter. Uh, Logan Webb sinker is good, not great, but like, it's good. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Lopez throws a really good sweeper and a really good changeup. And those all three of those pitches really tunnel well off of each other. Uh, Sonny Gray throws everything known to mankind. Um, like That's just how it has to be done. You have to find your arsenal and develop your arsenal to fit what you can do best. And, um, Ryan, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Appreciate it. Another good conversation about baseball this week and also some pitch design stuff. You know, that's my thing. love pitching. Um, To all our listeners, thank you very much for joining us again this week. Um, We hope you had a good weekend and are getting ready to enjoy the three-day weekend as well um, and enjoy getting back into the swing of things here in January. Baseball is just around the corner. Pitchers and catchers report in less than a month in some cases, so baseball is almost back. Who knows? Maybe by next week, Blake Snell will sign. Probably not. Uh, maybe Jordan Montgomery might sign. Eh, nope. Matt Chapman. Actually, that one might happen. Matt Chapman, two
1: years, happen. fifty million to the Yankees, baby. Let's 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 put That's it not in gonna, the air. It's not let's, let's put it uh, out there.
0: It's not gonna happen. But uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we always love when you guys chime in and everything. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of your week and we will see you soon.